When we very clearly do not. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm a Democrat. A liberal voice on a conservative talk show. What's the worst that could happen? It's Debate with the Democrat, featuring proud card-carrying Democrat Jeff Smith on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Let's get ready to rumble! Welcome back to KWTO. We've got an hour to go. we got to break down the debate last night. And on the show to do it with us, Democrat Jeff Smith. Question of the day, what's the first election you voted in and who did you vote for? First election I voted in was 1992. You're so old. Uh, and I voted for Bill Clinton. <sighs> that worked well. You're- <laughs> I want to hear you as a Democrat defend Bill Clinton. I'm kidding. I doubt. Okay, Jeff, I know you were sort of distracted last night, but you tangentially watched the debate. Who did you think really defined themselves last night? And I know you're a Democrat, so we're probably going to disagree, but who cut through the noise or did it matter at all? Okay, so I'll preface the, my analysis by saying that, no, I don't think it's going to be consequential. I this is all. Is, this is all just Trump's world, and we're playing in it, right? For the most part, I think that's right. Um, but you know, to his credit, Chris Christie did a heck of a job trying to remind people what the stakes were and why they were there. I and, forgot Chris Christie was still a candidate. Well, did you watch the debate? I did watch the debate, and I forgot he was a candidate even after I watched the debate. I thought well, he was maybe you know, a moderator. I thought he did the best job uh, at, at 17 minutes into the debate. He said, you know, we are all sitting here talking about our small differences on this policy issue or that policy issue. But the elephant in the room, he said, is that we have a wannabe dictator, a wannabe authoritarian who is leading in the polls by 20, 30, 40, 50 points, however much. And I think he showed, you and he showed Joe Biden showed, a wannabe and, dictator. Because he's not a wannabe dictator. He's like a poor excuse for a dictator. He's not, he, he wasn't very good at it. But his Christie uh, over and over again highlighted the fact that in the wake of the 2020 election, um, Donald Trump was doing everything he could to not leave. And to create these fake elector slates all over the country, uh, it wasn't just what happened the day of January 6th. It was a months-long process okay. to okay. try to overturn the results of a Democratic election. So I was glad to see Christie continuing to, to steer people back to what is at stake here and the Republican Party, uh, you know, you know, kind I of thought, capitulating. I, I capitulating thought we could have a conversation on who did well stylistically last night. This doesn't need to be January 6th, part million. I'm bored with that conversation. Let's talk about who stylistically did well. And and I think Christie stylistically did well because he stood out from the others by bringing it it back to... No, I don't think Christie's going to be the nominee. I think for his own purposes, 
and for the Republican Party. I think as a former U.S. attorney, knowing better than anybody on that stage what's about to hit Donald Trump and the fact that there is a decent chance that the Republican Party's nominee is a convicted felon next year. Christie highlighted the state. There's a good chance that Joe Biden's impeached by next year. I mean, look, if we want to play out these scenarios, like, let, let's let's get down to brass tacks. The House probably impeaches Joe Biden. Does that lessen his chances? He's the most unpopular president in history. I think going beyond some of these conversations, let's talk. Does, does Nikki Haley have a path in Iowa? Does Ron DeSantis, is his campaign real? So Haley and DeSantis need each one of them needs the other to unravel in the next six weeks because one of them has got to consolidate the anti-Trump vote. Chris Christie, I, it looks last night like there's a decent chance that Chris Christie will end up supporting Nikki Haley either publicly or maybe, you know, privately just kind of steer his his top people to her. Whether that happens before or after New Hampshire is an interesting question. But I think the the biggest question right now is does DeSantis stay afloat in Iowa? He's had a couple good developments in Iowa. He got the endorsement of a major uh, evangelical leader named Bob Vander Plaats. He got the endorsement of the sitting governor, Kim Reynolds. That is booing him a little bit in Iowa, but he's also got a ton of turmoil with his campaign. His super PAC is going through uh, CEOs like most people go through underwear. His last CEO lasted less than one Scaramucci. Um, if you remember the, the <laughs> Trump communications director who lasted, I think, for 11 days. So if DeSantis can, can stabilize in Iowa, that is bad news for Haley, because Haley needs to do better than expected in Iowa, get a second place finish there to get momentum going into New Hampshire, where independents can participate in the New Hampshire primary. If she consolidates, you know, the, the anti-Trump vote and gets some independence, there's a chance that, you know, she could win New Hampshire because she is, does have a lot of momentum there. And then she goes with a full head of steam into her home state of South Carolina. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but there's maybe a one in 10 possibility that that could happen. That's my assessment. And she did a decent job last night. I think she could have been a little stronger. Chris Christie came to her defense. Do you remember that moment? And I'd be curious for your oh, take yeah. on that moment. What, well, what was your take on that moment? I thought it was interesting, and I thought, listen, in my mind, Christie has no path. I know he's had some some numbers in New Hampshire, but I think the Republican Party as a whole is not going to accept Chris Christie. I thought that was an interesting moment, and I thought— I, I agree I agree 100% with you on that. Well, and my thought is, if I'm Christie, I'm a little frustrated because his lane was always the never-Trumpers, and Nikki seems to have stolen his lane in this election. And, you know, Nikki is not doing it as vocally as Christie is. Christie is making the focus of his campaign anti-Trump, never Trump. That's not where the sweet spot is to cobble together a plurality. The possible sweet spot, if Trump can be beaten, it's not never Trump. It's beyond Trump. It's Nikki Haley saying something like, look, I agreed that we, that we had to get rid of the Clintons. I was supporting Donald Trump. I wanted to build the wall and drain the swamp, but that's not what Donald Trump did. He didn't build the wall and he didn't drain the swamp. And most of the people around him close to him are being charged with felonies or have been charged with felonies. And he pardoned them. What we really need to do is move, be, have someone who doesn't have that baggage, have someone from the next generation who could be a better generational contrast 
with Joe Biden, and that person is me, without doing the full frontal assault on Chris, uh, that Christie does around January 6th. I'd like to hear it. But I'm not stupid enough to think that the things that I like to hear are what Republican primary voters want to hear. I can tell because I'm bored with this constant refrain about Trump. (laughs) But I do think that Christie is going to have a much better legacy uh, because of how he's performed in in these debates. He's going to do horribly and he's going to be out of the presidential race. Uh, in the next couple months, there's no that doubt is, about that. In that my is, mind. But let's talk about that. That that is interesting. This conversation about his legacy. What you know, if you're Chris Christie, and I, uh, I don't know these people. I don't know what their jobs are. But like, is, is it better after you've run for president than before? His life is going to be better uh, in a couple different ways. I think after he's run for president than before, because um, you're. People with corporations, okay, let me talk just financially, and then I'm going to talk about history and his legacy. I think in the near, and, and I think it explains the t- two of the big reasons that he's doing this. I think he may, I think he actually believes it, and I think it's kind of liberating for him after Trump humiliated him repeatedly uh, to be telling it like it is, and I do think it fits with his broader political persona since you know, 2009 when he first won. Um, but I also think financially it's good for him because companies that have the money to pay big speaking fees, six figure speaking fees, uh, the CEOs of companies like that don't want election deniers. They don't want Trumpy people. Uh, they want people that are more, that are, you know, when they bring people in to speak, because uh, you bring in former governors, former senators, former presidential candidates to speak at your corporate retreats every year, you know, for different events. And I think he's going to be more marketable because he is telling the truth about not just the 2020 election, but the state of the Republican Party and its capitulation to Donald Trump. Secondly, uh, and, and closely related, I think history will view him more kindly because he is and it's going to be futile. He won't win, as we said. But he is doing the best he can to try to bring the Republican Party back to some sense of normalcy and actual, you know, conservatism and uh, adherence to the rule of law. And I think history will look kindly upon that and it'll prove his legacy so that he won't go down just as the Bridgegate guy. Let's let's talk through Iowa's in less than six weeks. I was born there. You've trudged through the snow there for a presidential candidate. Give us a little bit of insight what that caucus is going to look like. Um, I will give you some insight, some better insight than any of your listeners who also listen to Eric Erickson get, because he has no idea uh, how the caucus works, which is kind of sad given his platform in the conservative firmament. But uh, it works very differently from how the Democratic caucus once worked. The Democratic caucus used to be like you groups of people go in one side of the room and say, I'm for Edwards and I'm for Clinton in the other corner and I'm for Obama in the third corner. So it's a very public thing. And then if a candidate doesn't get reach the viability threshold of 15%, then those people realign and go to a different corner. That's not how the Republican caucus works, even though some pundits uh, out there are conflating the two. How the Republicans are going to do it is basically a glorif- you know, they'll get up and they'll talk. You know, it's, it's, a, it's not where you just go vote. You have to go and publicly you debate the party's platform, but then they'll do kind of a secret ballot 
uh, on who they want to be the presidential nominee. And so there aren't going to be multiple rounds of voting as there were in previous Democratic caucuses. Um, it's very heavily evangelical. Uh, typically, they'll say about three quarters of people who turn out in the Republican caucuses are evangelical Christians, you know, self-identify as, as evangelical Christians. However, one of the wild cards this time around is that for the first time in modern history, there is no Democratic caucus. And because there is That's no Democratic so crazy. caucus, it is kind of crazy. And it could be it could be consequential. Right. Because. Guys like me, women like me, even more than guys like me, are going to watch debates. Did you say like last women night. like you? Because I, I don't know if we can do that. Women with my political uh, worldview, okay, um, are, are are going to watch last night's debate, and I think a lot of them are going to say, you know, Nikki Haley is talking common sense. It's a big part of the culture in Iowa for politicos to go in caucus. And I think you're going to see some independent, maybe Democratic-leaning voters go and maybe caucus for, you know, a Nikki Haley. And that could buoy her, uh, the fact that there is no Democratic caucus this year. In, in New Hampshire, you have something similar. Um, I experienced this. Uh, up close and personal in 2000 after Iowa, I went to New Hampshire. I worked for Bill Bradley, who ran for president, the former NBA Hall of Famer and U.S. Senator from New Jersey, uh, who's a Missourian. And I was working for him against Al Gore in 2000. After we lost the Iowa caucus, I went to New Hampshire. We had a much better chance in New Hampshire to, to knock off Gore than we did in Iowa. And it was a close race. The polling was very close. But McCain caught fire near the end and the independents in New Hampshire that are deciding whether to vote in the Democratic primary or the Republican primary mostly went to vote in the Republican primary for McCain. They would have probably voted for Bradley in the Democratic primary. Bradley lost by four points. And so while he lost to Gore, he actually kind of lost a lot of voters to McCain, you know, because they went in the other primary. I only tell that story in service of the, you know, current situation, which is that having no real Democratic primary, I mean, there is one, but it's, there's no delegates that are going to be awarded. And Joe Biden isn't even on the ballot. Uh, you know, people may write him in, you know, because this guy, Dean Phillips, this Minnesota congressman is running against him. But the point is that since there's no real Democratic primary, a lot of Democrats may cross over and that's going to help Haley and maybe Christie. That's, that's very interesting. How much crossover can you count how much? Like 1%, 2%? Is it, you know, I remember back when Rush Limbaugh had Operation Pandemonium or whatever he called it, when Obama and Clinton were running, and there was like these conversations about Republicans voting in the Democrat race, but I don't know if they actually did. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to quantify, but remember when we're talking about Iowa and New Hampshire, we're talking about two pretty small states, you know, in the caucus in particular, since it's not just going to vote for 10 minutes, since it's like you're standing in a high school gym or in a library or whatever for, you know, maybe an hour or longer, you got to be more committed. That reduces the number of people who go. Since there are expected to be a couple hundred thousand, maybe Republican caucus goers, even if like one out of every 10 of former Democratic caucus goers decides, hey, I'm going to go vote in the Republican caucus, that might be another 20,000 votes. So if the split is something like, you know, Trump gets, you know, 50,000 votes of the Republican voters. You know, let's say Trump gets 60,000 and uh, DeSantis gets 30,000 and Haley gets 30,000, you know, something like that. And then the others split the, the remainder. 
if one out of every 10 2020 Democratic caucus goers, and I'm just giving back of the envelope numbers, so if your listeners are checking me, I'm not going to be exactly right here. But if one out of 10 Democratic caucus voters from 2020 decides to go caucus for the Republicans, and that's 20,000 of them, and 15,000 of those 20,000 decide I'm going to go caucus for Haley because she's the one who might be able to knock off Trump, and she's not a January 6th denier, and she's not as obnoxious as him, that could make the difference between Haley getting, you know, 17% and getting 28%, which could vault her over DeSantis, give her the boost she needs to get all to consolidate the anti-Trump vote in New Hampshire, make New Hampshire extremely close and give her that head of steam that I previously referenced going into her home state of South Carolina, where she has to win to have any chance uh, of, of getting the nomination, which, again, I would put it around maybe a you know, 5 to 10% chance. What yeah. do you think about that scenario? Uh, I see no chance for, for Nikki Haley. I've never have. I think there is a scenario where, where DeSantis wins. I do not think there's a scenario where Nikki Haley wins. I think the path of voters and the path, the group of voters that she is auditioning to ha- has never and will never be a majority. I think it's donor class heavy. And you and I have discussed before, if she ever seems to be a real threat, in my mind, there's some scandal from South Carolina that likely brings you down. But I want to focus on you're a Democrat as a Democrat on a scale of a through a well, let's say a scale of one to 10 with one being the most nervous I could be and 10 being the most confident I could be one to 10. If Biden's on the ballot, what's your level of nervousness for the next election? His poll right now, not great. What's your level of nervousness? I'd say five. I mean, I'd still bet you on the race because I think um, to circle back to something I said earlier about what Christie understands that that most people don't as a former federal prosecutor, what I understand that most people don't as a former federal uh, defendant, you know, uh, criminal defendant, is that what's about to hit Trump over the next year is very hard for anyone to grasp Four criminal trials, um, you know, with with federal trials in, in D.C., and in, um, you know, South Florida on, on the Mar-a-Lago, the documents case, we don't know if they'll all happen in, in 2024, but probably three of the four will, including Georgia. He's got 19 co-defendants in Georgia. They're not going to want to go to prison. They're going to keep flipping on him. You're going to have probably a dozen of his co-defendants, many of whom were in the room with him, testifying under oath that he directed the fake elector scheme and other things that is going to take a toll on him when his closest intimates are out there, you know, accusing him of, you know, under oath, you know, um, corroborating the accounts of that Jack Smith and others have laid out in the indictment. That's why I think I still give Biden a slight edge because there's going to be, I think just, or I think it's going to be an incredibly tumultuous year in politics. I think it's the closest thing to, to 1968 maybe that, that we've seen in our, in our lifetime is what we're going to see next year. But I still, I'm nervous about Biden, but I still give him a slight edge because of what's about to hit Donald Trump. And the fact that I think maybe one of every 10 or or 20 staunch Republican voters won't vote for him if he's a convicted felon. Very good. Jeff Smith, if you, uh, if people want to follow along for your slightly left-leaning analysis on social media, how do they do that? Anyone who wants my objective analysis can go to at Jeff Smith Mo on X Elon Musk's platform 
at Jeff Smith M-O. Or they can swipe right on Bumble. Jeff Smith, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. <laughs> All yeah. right, we'll be right back. We'll wrap up the show. Stick around.